day. Looking out across from uh, where I am, the free market actively at work, ships going to port, people's uh, containers are heading off into into the open seas and into Wilmington. Uh, Charlottean's beautiful day today, getting warmer day by day. Felt like winter during Christmas. Now it's going to feel like not winter for the first day of the new year. So everybody kind of gets what they want, except I know a lot of kids would have loved to have it. And I am, having grown up in Puerto Rico, seeing snow is still exciting to me. I'm a thousand years old, but man, I love seeing snow. Even to this day, it's just, but when you live at the coast, you're not likely going to see a lot of that. Now, a lot going on out there. Elon Musk not backing off at all on what he's alleging is going on out there. He's, He's very chagrined at the media and the way the media is conducting itself. Now, it's not that they work for him. He's not demanding they do. He's just asking some really fascinating questions. Uh, he's he's really taking it to task on uh, Fauci. He's really taking it to task on the media uh, and wondering why the media is, you know, is working for the. <laughs> he's got he's got some hilarious tweets out there. Um, he absolutely does. In fact, I'm going to retweet some of them here shortly. But he is not backing off. Why is in his question? This was just yesterday evening. Why is corporate journalism rushing to defend the state instead of the people? And you have to wonder about that. Why is at what point did corporate journalism start working for the government instead of questioning the government? Can you imagine during the the, the Watergate era if the press had been working in favor of Nixon? If they had been, oh, there's nothing to see here, you know, in spite of evidence to the contrary, but he's a Republican, so of course they would. Or if they had been in lockstep unison against the, you know, in favor of the British crown and against, you know, the patriot and any kind of sense of patriot, the, the, the new, the birth of the new country. I mean, or, you know, well, they kind of were in favor of Germany in World War II. They hate to say that, but many of the media were very sympathetic to uh, pre-war Germany in World War II. Now, but imagine them being against the country or working for the Japanese empire or something. It sounds very, it's like, Chad, you're going over the top here. No, that's not what happened. But if you're working for... Uh, any given authoritarian group, that's not the role of journalism. The role of journalism is to find the truth, not a narrative, not support propaganda. And you have to wonder, they're not being paid by the government to do that, so you have to wonder why they're doing it. So as you dig into this, and by the way, I'm your guest host, Chad Adams, sitting in for Pete Callender here on News Talk 1110 wbt Feel free to give us a call at 704-570-1110, 570 Always an honor and a pleasure, and we love having you guys here to be a part of this. Greatest audience in North Carolina, greatest station that's allowing the free flow of discussion and talk. And and what, when Elon Musk was sending that, and we will talk briefly about Title 42, it's the weirdest ruling I've ever seen. It's, it's an admiss, a tacit admission that the courts are acting in a policy way. It's not the role of the courts. It's not at all. Title 42 allows the country to expel folks. It was meant to be a, a COVID response to things. It's, it was scheduled to end multiple times. It's been scheduled to end. The court has now acted twice to extend Title 42, basically saying to those in elected office, you've done nothing. Saying to the Biden administration, you've done nothing. And they're acting in a way that the courts were not designed really to be. Title 42 is a COVID issue. We're not in the time of COVID right now, but they, they have no way to quickly expel folks, and we're being overrun. We're so overrun that the New York Times is starting to tweet stories in Spanish very rapidly. Muy rápido. I cannot believe how quickly <laughs> New York is changing, apparently. So, and what Elon is referring to, and I'll get to the story. It's a, it's a sub stack 
tweet. Leighton Woodhouse wrote the story, and it's it's kind of bizarre. I'll go through part of it as we get through this first segment, and and it it, it asks some very difficult questions that are germane. They are important. They are relevant. They are critical. And if the media wants to resurrect its damaged reputation, it needs to. It can't just run away from this. Running away from it is is giving rise to this kind of corporate authoritarianism working for the government. If your media is working for the government, you're really no different than the Chinese, the CCP, or or the Russian government. You really you've just become a propaganda wing of those in power. Which it, it's interesting they weren't in favor of Trump in any way, but somehow the rogue folks at the FBI and others were telling social media what to do. So we had an entire group of individuals that weren't reporting to citizen-led elected officials. They were working for themselves in some way, thinking they're doing the greater good. There's a giant coup underway inside our federal government. Uh, that's not a conspiracy. It's proven. It's true. We know they did. We know what they knew. We knew they lied. Here's what it starts out with. This is Leighton Woodhouse at Substack. Last week, the FBI responded to the revelations exhumed from the Twitter files in the most predictable way imaginable by calling the journalists who reported on them, quote, conspiracy theorists, end quote. A decade ago, an attack like this on the free press by the federal government's top law enforcement agency might have united journalists in indignant outrage. No longer. If the Twitter files showed the extent to which the intelligence agencies are in bed with the social media platforms, the story's reception by the mainstream press has only shown how eager the establishment media is to jump into the sheets with them like Eric Swalwell and a Chinese spy. My words, not the call. It's not just that the corporate media has abandoned the kind of adversarial journalism exemplified by the reporting on the Twitter files. It has taken on the role of defending the state against those who continue to practice it. A few days after Michael Schallenberger dropped part seven of the Twitter files, which we went through yesterday, CNN reporters Evan Perez, Donnie Sullivan, and Brian Fung published a big story, also featured on the news channel, CNN, expressly aimed at refuting its findings. The central claim of the story was that the FBI had never ordered Twitter, had never ordered Twitter to suppress the Hunter Biden story. That claim is true. The FBI, indeed, had never issued a direct order to Twitter that they had no legal authority to issue. But neither Schellenberger nor any other Twitter files reporter ever made that allegation in the first place. So they they denied, they, they, they pushed back on an allegation that never existed. Elon Musk, in a tweet posted two and a half weeks prior to that thread, in a discussion of an earlier Twitter files installment written by a different reporter, here's what he wrote. Twitter, this is what Musk wrote on Twitter, it's public, you can see it, on December 3rd, Twitter acting by itself to suppress free speech is not a First Amendment violation but acting under orders from the government to suppress free speech with no judicial review is. And CNN's conclusion was correct. Musk, who is famous for his reckless tweets, had spoken inaccurately. But so what? Musk carelessly hyping a tweet thread with a hyperbolic claim that the FBI ordered suppression of a story does nothing to undermine the actual claim in the reporting, which is that the FBI used its influence improperly to discredit a true but politically inconvenient story. Seizing on Musk's sloppy editorializing is a classic bait-and-switch that CNN is using to tarnish a story that it cannot, in fact, factually refute. In other words, the FBI has no way to say what's being said about it is untrue. It's absolutely true. It's provably true, demonstrably true. It's written in truth. They did do this. When the, What the Twitter files do show, in fact, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. We've got to take a break here in a second, and I want to finish this last paragraph, and it's one more paragraph on this, is terrifyingly true. 
and worth knowing to set the record straight. And the FBI has a lot to answer for, and so does the the the, the, the typical media that's out there. Now, I want to use mainstream because they're they're in free fall. Special shout out to Chris, making it all come together. Me as a host, thankful, grateful. Chad Adams sitting in for B Calendar. Give us a call, 704-570-1110, 570-1110 here at News Talk 1110-993-WBT. We're always having a lot of fun here. And I was going to get to the the end of this piece that is, it's, it's not the end, it's just part of it. I don't want to go through all of it, but the, the big part of it is we... The FBI isn't denying that it, it, it put immense pressure about stories. But I'm going to summarize what they did because that's the important and scary, terrifying part. That the FBI, and you what who's calling the shots, or was and is, the FBI is trying to deny something that isn't the allegation. So here's where, and this is from Leighton Woodhouse, and I want to go through this last piece. It's not... Overly complicated. In fact, I think it's a succinct summary of what what's happening or what has happened. What the Twitter files do show, these Twitter files, these now seven seven drops. And by the way, Elon Musk says he's not done yet. There's he tweeted earlier today. He said, We're not done. This is just starting. So I have a feeling it's it's just a a a drip, a slow drip. It's like a Chinese water torture for those in in the media and the FBI, and they're they're looking where the fact that they're ignoring this doesn't mean it's going away. More and more people are now asking questions every day, and the more that drips out, the worse it gets. The FBI's denials are not sticking. The media's complacency isn't registered. I mean, it's not going over well. What the Twitter files do show is that the FBI ran what appears to be a disinformation campaign to persuade social media platforms to suppress the Hunter Biden laptop story, a story they knew to be true. So remember, the New York Post was banned from Twitter for running the story. The FBI knew it was true and, and, and pushed Twitter to ban the New York Post. So you had a clear information suppression thing. That last part re- bears repeating as it is crucial to understanding the gravity of the FBI's alleged impropriety. Let's remind you, the FBI knew from the start that the, the FBI, that the story, the laptop story was authentic. FBI agents knew that Hunter Biden had personally dropped off his laptop at a computer repair shop in Delaware in 2019 and then abandoned it. They knew that the computer repairman had viewed its contents and then contacted Rudy Giuliani to inform him of the sensitive information stored on the machine. They knew that the New York Post was writing a story on it. The FBI knew all of this because in 2019, the computer repairman had, via his father, contacted the FBI himself to tell them about it. The FBI visited him at his home. The agency then took physical possession of the laptop. They still have it. The FBI also spied on Giuliani, which is how they were aware that the New York Post had an article coming. Knowing all of these facts, the FBI nevertheless went on to represent the Hunter Biden laptop story as, quote, Russian disinformation to social media executives. Kind of let that sink in. The FBI knew the story was true. They tried to discredit a story they knew was true. They knew that the knowledge of that story would affect the outcome of the election. So the FBI was actively trying to suppress information to help one candidate. It was acting as clearly as it could against one candidate and in favor of another in every possible way it could, short of ordering social media. And social media, Meta, Google, 
Facebook, Twitter, all of them collectively did what the FBI asked them to do and trusted that the FBI was giving them truthful information, which it was not. The FBI was pushing to the American public as clearly as it could an entirely propagandized version of the truth and saying that things that weren't true were not. And preventing media, like the New York Post, trying to embarrass and humiliate. And NPR swallowed that. ABC, CBS, NBC swallowed this. MSNBC swallowed it. They all in unison, working collaboratively with social media and the FBI to suppress. Now, an inquisitive journalist, and you have to wonder where they are. There's a lot of them. People like Nick Oxner over at WBT, WBT TV, sorry, WBTV, different organization. People like that, the, the role of an investigative journalist is to find out the truth. The role of every journalist should be to find out the truth. But instead, what we have is this kind of kooky, crazy propaganda routine. And it hasn't stopped, by the way. We, you think it stopped, but now the people are encouraged to continue acting this way. So we don't know the degree to which they're still doing these kind of things or attempting to do them. With, I'm sure now they have no attempt to do it with Twitter. Twitter's now a rogue. Now what they're trying to do is, I believe, and I can't, again, we'll see. But I think they're using the, the other social media companies now have to, they look very silly, they look very amateurish, and they look like they're under the control of the government agencies. And that's a reality that should be very concerning to we, the American public. Did they break the law? It's not that they broke the law. It's that, I mean, if someone swears fealty to you, they haven't broken a law. It's almost like the media has some kind of Stockholm syndrome to, to do what the FBI tells it to do. They should never do that. They should never do that. And then you look at all the subsequent arrest. I mean, the, the I mean, you look at the way they've conducted themselves through the January 6th hearings, and you wonder why people don't trust what the FBI is doing. You still don't have answers about pipe bombs up there. We still don't. I mean, there's just a lot of information that you have to run through. Unfortunately, we have to run through that. I'm not sure the FBI is being truthful. Why? Because they've given us reason to believe that they're not truthful. They've given a lot, which gives us a fascinating phrase that, that, I, that I absolutely love called respectable authoritarianism. We'll get through that. We'll get to that in the next segment. And also your phone calls if, if you choose to be a part of the broadcast. We love you folks. Rolling along. And we were looking at the situation, you know, with the FBI and what's going on there. Uh, and it's just, it's just bizarre. But, um, and we, we shouldn't excuse it. But it kind of gives rise. So you, you take it a step further. So you have, we've come out of COVID. There's a lot about, I think, you know, people talk about the country being divided. I don't, I don't think we're that we're that divided. I think there's a group of individuals that are much more likely to comply with whatever the government tells them, even if it doesn't make sense. You know, we saw that through COVID. Some of the lockdowns didn't make sense, but we just kind of did them. We, we saw, you know, the mandates that were done that weren't necessary, but we just did them. There were a significant number of people that pushed back, and the people that pushed back were ostracized. The people that pushed back were, they tried to humiliate and embarrass them, and it turns out many of them were right. 
It turns out that the government and the agencies were wrong. Um, it turns out that a lot of factual information wasn't factual. And so right now, you, you, you know, and then we find out that other agencies like the FBI also can't, you know, we, we don't trust them and they've got good people in them, but they're being led by people that deem that have made themselves untrustworthy because they clearly are acting in a political manner. You have to wonder, why are they acting in a political manner? Was it really after just, was it at, trying to, to make an election go a certain way? Because that, that's what it looks like. They knew the Hunter Biden story was damaging. They knew it was 100% true, and they tried to steer the media and social media away from that story. They tried to discredit the one group that wasn't afraid to print the story, which was the New York Post. So you take it a step further and look at what we have. So you have kind of the appearance of the, it has shades of, and I know people on the left are going to scream when I say this, but we have kind of the shades of benevolent dictatorship. We have shades of that popping up in society in this country. And we've seen in the past. I mean, the caller yesterday was absolutely correct. There were times that there, it was very much, you know, dictatorial in the way it treated different races. It's been dictatorial in the way it treated different individuals. But we, we always end up rejecting that. And you'd think we would learn from history not to do that, that it's unacceptable. But you wonder how compliant. I think there's about 35% of the general public that will comply with whatever the government tells them to. If it tells them they have to wear a certain color shoe on their right foot, I think they would do it. I think they absolutely would. I think if they had to get out and stop every 10 miles and, 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 and you know thank green energy or something, I think they would do that. I think they would absolutely do almost whatever insane thing was cast down to them. But let's go to this, you know, the concept that I went before the break. It's not, it's not overly complicated. It's called respectable authoritarianism. Donald Trump exit. This is from actually spikedonline.com. It's, it's, it's a great piece. And, and it, you know, I have linked it. I put it on my Twitter feed and it's by Sean Collins, who's a U.S. correspondent with them. And, and, and I'm not going to give you the headline because if I gave you the headline, you get a lot of the story away. Donald Trump exited the White House many months ago, yet in 2022, Joe Biden and his fellow Democrats talked about him endlessly. The House of Representatives January 6th committee provided a year-long infomercial condemning Trump for conspiratorial and criminal behavior. The Democrats' midterm strategy campaign was also focused on opposing Trump, even though he wasn't on the ballot. The most striking and bizarre image of the year came in September when a dark Biden stood in front of Independence Hall in Philadelphia to denounce Trump and his fellow MAGA Republicans. He was eliminated in blood-red lighting that drew comparisons with the aesthetics of Nuremberg. Now, and you, you remember that. It was this really strange thing where the president comes out and it's red and black in the background. Very dystopian. Not only did Biden and the Democrats obsess over Trump this past year, but they also escalated their rhetoric about him to new extremes. The January 6th committee and its media mouthpieces constantly referred to that rally-slash-riot as an armed insurrection. Biden smeared Trump and his supporters as semi-fascist. Such exaggerated rhetoric has one simple goal, to demonize Trump, to make him out to be much more of a threat than he really was. Yes, the former president exhibits authoritarian tendencies, but what is striking is how lousy he is at putting them into action. His stop the steal nonsense after the 2020 election was anti-democratic, but he never came close to overturning the election results. His recent call to terminate the U.S. Constitution events disdain for the supreme law of the country, but there was zero chance that anything would come of it. So in other words, no matter if you love or despise the president, there was nothing that was going to come of these words. The Democrats try to make it out to be much more than it was. Over the past year, Trump's sway over American politics has declined significantly, and yet the Democrats became more obsessed with him than ever. 
Trump spent most of the year quietly tucked away in Mar-a-Lago. Most of his hand-picked candidates for the midterms were defeated. His announcement that he would be running for president again in 2024 was greeted with a yawn. This foundational threat to the republic? Ended the year hawking digital trading cards of himself, photoshopped as a superhero. And a cowboy for $99 each. The Democrats claim to hate Trump, and many of them hope to see him thrown in jail, but the reality is they desperately need him. Biden continually resurrects the Trump boogeyman as a foil to defend himself against. You could say that this is a ploy of political expediency. In the midterms, Biden's warnings about Trumpism were a useful distraction from inflation, urban crime, the border, China, everything. All of the failings of the Biden administration he tried to distract us from he and his acolytes by blaming, you know, looking at, let's look at Trump. You could say it worked as the Democrats hung on to the Senate and avoided a red wave, but there is more to the Democrats' anti-Trumpism than partisan politics. It provides a moral basis to their rule. We're saving democracy. We're fighting the fascist. It also offers a rationale for exerting greater state control over political life and society. And this is where it gets dark. Biden and the Democrats use the scepter specter of Trump to assert their own brand of authoritarianism, a version less obvious and more sophisticated than Trump's, but authoritarianism all the same. You would say the same, I could say and should say, and you should agree and would agree with, Governor Cooper did the same thing. This kind of brand of authoritarianism, this friendly authoritarianism. The debate over election denialism reveals how the Democrats' criticisms of Trump do not mean they are principled defenders of democracy. In a speech at the Union Station in Washington, D.C. in November, Biden warned that, quote, extreme MAGA Republicans aim to question not only the legitimacy of past elections, but elections being held now and into the future. Yes, casting down on elections does damage things, but Democrats are just as guilty as anything the MAGA folks have done. Democrats claim Trump's election in 2016 was illegitimate due to Russian interference, and many Democrats still believe that. Leading party figures backed Stacey Abrams' claim that the Georgia governor race was stolen in 2018, and Biden himself showed doubts about democracy when he described Georgia's change to election laws as Jim Crow 2.0, adding that those laws would make the midterm elections in Georgia illegitimate. When it comes to elections, Democrats are just as conspiratorial, they're just as anti-democratic as the wackiest folks on the right. In October, Hillary Clinton popped up to preemptively question the legitimacy of the 2024 election. Right-wing extremists, she said, already have a plan to literally steal the next election. And they're not making a secret of it. Hillary and her friends call their campaign Crush the Coup, which sounds awfully similar to Trump. Stop the steal. But don't worry. Democrats' election denialism is the good kind because the Democrats are good and benevolent. They mean well. They mean to. They, they do this. They do this power to protect you because they care about you because you're not smart enough to care about yourself back to the column if biden and the democrats simply criticize trump for his attacks on democracy it'd be hard to disagree but they can't stop there they can't they can't help themselves the democrats denunciations of trump and his followers are always a prelude to the censorship or repression of those who disagree with them it's a classic authoritarian move my enemies are so evil and dangerous that every liberal action we take is justified. And not only that, it is moral. The Democrats' authoritarianism is more pervasive and censorious than anything Trump ever did or tried. In the Biden era, it is the Democrats who increasingly favor government and corporate control of political discourse, especially in social media. A Pew poll in 2021 found that 65% of Democrats agreed that the U.S. government should take steps to restrict information online even if it limits freedom of information. Only 28% of Republicans held that same view. Biden and his team have pursued this speech control with passion. 
Earlier this year, his administration set up a new disinformation governments board to combat misinformation. Very, very Orwellian. Very, very much. Ayn Rand as well. Or Pig Farm. To combat misinformation, malinformation, and disinformation that threatens the security of the homeland. This would be Ministry of Truth, and it was soon disbanded. There are now reports that the board has reemerged, continuing to do the same thing, monitoring social media, on this time behind closed doors. Attempts by the Biden administration and Democrats to limit free speech go well beyond clumsy, ill-fated stuff. It's a mess. We'll get into more of this. There's more to this, and it's worth it's worth you hearing. day it's a beautiful day though it be winter well yeah a few days into winter but you got a, a wide awake uh wide awake way of feeling that winter didn't we so uh, when we went to the break and by the way you're welcome to give us a call chat i'm sitting in for our, our good friend pete calendar uh 704-570-1110 here at news talk 1110 99.3 that's 570 you want to call 570-1110 you're a part of the conversation move to the front of the line uh and i and i tell you what the the it's kind of amazing to me that nobody seems to be opposing I mean, excuse me, I'll take that back. There are people. There are people that are on, on radio shows like this. There, there are commentators across the nation. There are people in journalism that are trying to do an honest job, that are questioning, and they're pushing. You know, you would think the New York Times, the L.A. Times, you would think that all of the other uh, three-letter news shows would be concerned about the appearance that they're being told what to do and how to do it. But they, they haven't been. But before we get back to that, I do want to remind you there's a lot of fun stuff still going on. WBT does welcome the Light the Nights Festival, where you can make merry memories at Truist Field now through January 6th. It's a lot more time left on this. There's an ice skating rink, snow tubing hill, plus enjoy lights, shows, live entertainment, holiday treats, Christmas trees, shopping, Santa, and more. Brought to you in part by Piedmont Natural Gas. Do share the warmth. It's going to be it's great weather to get out and do this. It's getting better every day, so do. You know, you've got a 150-foot snow tubing hill. There's a lot of uh, gifts and shopping and all sorts of fun stuff that Charlotteans have grown accustomed to experiencing. So do get out, take a chance, and check it out. Now, back to the piece that we were talking about. This is a piece over at Spiked Online, and it's uh, – well, actually, I already went through the, the one uh, on, on Spiked. But this is Spiked about the benevolence of that, – that Democrats are acting in a way that's very dictatorial, that is extreme. They're calling it respectable authoritarianism. So they believe it's okay to tell you what to do if, if, if it's for your own good. It's that same slippery slope that every – Every dictator believes, whether it's Castro or Maduro or the CCP or Putin, they believe they've reached a point where they know what's best. It's a government of people, not of laws, of men rather than laws. We're a government of laws rather than of men or women. We should be. That's what makes us very different. Respect for a piece of paper. You don't have respect for the piece of paper under glass, state capital. The rest of it really doesn't matter. It really, it's, it's, you're no longer this country. As the Biden campaign morphed into the Biden White House, it continued to collude with the big tech platforms to censor voices, especially those who disagreed with COVID policies 
from the Biden administration, such as lockdown and vaccine mandates. Periodically, representatives of the tech giants are hauled up before Democrats in Congress and scolded for not censoring enough. With Elon Musk liberalization of Twitter's content moderation policies, Democrat representatives are warning. In other words, they see what's happening at Twitter. It's out of their control. Now they're warning Facebook and others not to reduce their censorship of misinformation, which Democrats effectively define as information that they don't agree with. That's the problem with this. If a Democrat disagrees with it, they believe they have the right to shut it down. How many times have you been at a dinner party or party or anywhere in mixed company? And you get in conversation with a, a, a diehard progressive and your viewpoint is not at all allowed to be represented. In fact, you try to stay quiet just to keep the peace. The righteous indignation that you experience from those who are incapable of debate, and it becomes emotional for them, and at that point the argument's over because you don't want to deal with the emotional side of their incongruous way of looking at the world. Because it is. Their, their, their way of looking at it is that government solves all these problems, and it doesn't do that. And so now you have Democrats effectively trying to define anything they disagree with as misinformation. At that blood-red speech in Philadelphia, the one we talked about prior to the break, where Biden was standing there in Independence Hall with the red and black and the Marines with the guns in the background, Biden's words were just as ominous as the setting, delivered with a menacing tone. He cast a wide net, effectively declaring all Trump voters, all 70 million of them, as a threat to the country. He then served an effective warning to them. If you express views that we associate with Trump or Republicans, we can deploy the powers of the state against you. As it happens, such powers had already been used against parents protesting against school boards, who Democrats attempted to treat like domestic terrorists. Last year, the Biden Attorney General Merrick Garland directed the FBI and U.S. attorneys to investigate, quote, threats of violence against school administrators and teachers. The order was an outrageous attempt to intimidate parents protesting against racially divisive and gender identity content in schools. It sent a chilling message to parents. If you protest, don't be surprised if the FBI comes knocking at your door. Don't be surprised. This is a, a critical issue. So with that right now, it's just uh, amazing. In the Philadelphia speech, Biden said there's no place for political violence in America, period. But again, from one-sided perspective, only Trump-related aggression counts as political. Meanwhile, Biden pointedly refused to criticize the mobs that gathered out Supreme, outside Supreme Court justices' homes. After the conservative court overturned Roe v. Wade, even after an assassination, assassination attempt on Brett Kavanaugh, Biden never addressed that issue. Never did. This silence sends a message. Political intimidation is acceptable so long as it's aimed at people who disagree with Biden. It's okay to threaten them. We're starting to get a little more dangerous. You could say that the U.S. faces a battle of authoritarianisms, an unacceptable, crude, Trumpian authoritarianism, and a respectable, morally driven Biden one. But it's really no contest. Biden and the Democrats have the forces of the media, big tech, and the security state on their side, not to mention the executive powers of the White House. Trump has a group of followers. The scope of Democrats' reach into your social and political lives, including limits on speech, extends way more widely than Trump has tried. And while Trump is mildly authoritarian, the Democrats' version is much more disciplined and very effective. In 2022, it became more apparent that Biden and the Democrats' anti-Trumpist rhetoric is a means to justify their own dictatorial authoritarian impulses. Defenders of civil liberties and democracy should now have a better idea of what they're going to be up against this coming year. That's from Sean Collins. Much more to go. Taking a break. Hour two getting ready to be underway. We'll be right back after this. 